Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. So here I am in a party in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and suddenly I find myself speaking to the founder of MTV. And we start talking tequila, and suddenly he asks me, you're in the tequila industry and you have that background? I've always wanted to start a tequila company. And I just looked at him as like, oh my God, I think this is it. And I said, Really? That was a magical conversation. We exchanged cards and I'm like, I hope this is not just like a party talk. This is real. Next day, his secretary was like, Mr. Pittman can meet on this and this date. My excitement was over the moon about the opportunity of even just discussing doing something with such a serial entrepreneur. I'm Bob Pittman. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing, where we explore all that goes into successful marketing, from the analytical all the way to the creative, and the mix of people in marketing from the quants to the promoters and everything in between. Today, we're going to straddle the border of Mexico and the United States with the CEO and was my co-founder of Casa Dragones Tequila, Berti Gonzalez. Although over the last 11 years, Berta has been maniacally focused on building a new connoisseur-focused upscale tequila, Casa Dragones, she has an interesting background that got her to that spot. She was the first woman to be a maestro tequilero, 
That's what you pronounce it? Maestra Tequilera. Yeah, well, it sounds better coming from you. <laughs> She's had 10 years with Jose Cuervo. So most of her adult life has been tequila. She has her master's from Northwestern in Chicago. She did her undergrad in Mexico. She was a childhood entrepreneur, a cultural ambassador for Mexico, and is the person who introduced me to eating ant eggs. And yes, they were tasty. Berta, welcome. Bob, excited to be here. We're going to get into all these stories about you, but first we want to do you in 60 seconds. Ready to go? Ready. Do you prefer New York or Mexico City? Tough. Ooh, Mexico City. Shaken or stirred? Stirred. Sweet or savory? Savory. Early riser or night owl? Both. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Beach or mountains? Beach. Frida Kahlo or Diego Rivera? Frida Kahlo. Drama or comedy? Comedy. Tamales or tacos? Tacos. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Barragan or Legareta? Barragan. It's about to get a little harder. Smartest person you know? Oof, that's a tough one. I may be in front of them. Right, right. You're such a <laughs> diplomat. Childhood hero? My grandmother. First job? Entrepreneur. So I had a poinsettia business in Mexico City. Secret talent? Photographer. Favorite TV show or movie? Black Mirror. This is going to be a hard one. Favorite cocktail? Yeah, that's tough. But there's one cocktail made by Jim Mian called the San Miguel, which is a take on the old-fashioned but made with Casadrones Blanco, celery bitters, and a twist of grapefruit with a big ice cube. Favorite artist? Gabriel Orozco. Must-have travel item? Comfortable backpack. What would the title of your memoir be? Tequila Diaries. Let's get started with you. As a woman in a traditionally male business and still dominated by men, tequila, when you jumped into it, did you feel I'm the woman and everybody else been? When I started in the tequila category, I was so obsessed of being part of it and figuring out a way to get into it that in my second day in the job, I was standing in front of the sales force. It was 300 people. And I started to turn around and I realized, oh, detail. There's not a lot of women here. Early on in my career, I decided I really didn't want to be defined as a woman in the tequila category I want to be defined as a professional in the tequila category. So I work really hard on having a strong point of view to gain a position on the table to talk about business and tequila. And that has been an approach that has helped me throughout my career. So we're going to come to that in a few minutes because I think you've got some very useful advice. Where did this love of tequila come from? I had the chance to represent Mexico in a program in Japan in my early 20s. I was selected to be a young ambassador from Mexico to Japan. And as part of my training, I had to eloquently speak about Mexico's economy, our industries, our history, our culture. So I got invited to travel around the country to visit different industries. And one of them was a tequila industry. After the second day that I stayed in Tequila Jalisco, I was enamored with the production process. I was enamored with the agave fields. I was enamored with really the role that tequila plays in Mexican culture and in defining Mexico's image. So I called my parents immediately and I said, I know what I want to do. I want to go into the tequila industry. I'm the youngest of three and the only daughter. And my parents, they were like, oh, please. Maybe this is the flavor of the month. You're going to fall in love with something else. And here we are many years later. Statue of Limitations has probably run out. Did you drink tequila as a child? I had my first glass of tequila with my grandmother because it is part of the Mexican table. And she had an open house every week. So we all went there. And every Sunday, as a ritual, they started the lunch with a glass of tequila. 
So I was sitting beside her and I was like, is it my turn? Is it my turn? Is it my turn? So finally, one day she gave up. She's like, okay, please just try it <laughs> because she needed to get me off her back. What was that age? Very early age, like 11, Five? 12. Okay, 11, yes. 12. Okay, a little more. And you were talking about it's really part of the table in Mexico. And I'm not sure people in the U.S. appreciate that. People drink tequila with a meal, like a wine with a meal. Yeah. In Mexico, tequila has been the long-term lover or companion of Mexican cuisine. Not only about fine dining, it's really part of the family's table. Opening a meal with your family with a glass of tequila is part of this ritual that brings everyone together. Paint a picture of Mexico City in the 70s and 80s when you were growing up. What did it feel like? What was life like then? I had a very, well, there's not such thing as a normal upbringing, but a very active upbringing in a very free way. Mexico City, it's a city full of culture. So I grew up surrounded by that. It was already a culinary center, an architectural center, a cinema center. That culture is so strong. That's one of the things that truly inspired me to dedicate my career to the tequila category. I want to see what I grew up with and the pride that I find there and the inspiration that I find there reflected. So let's go to you as an entrepreneur as a kid. Poinsettia business, not exactly what I would say is like every kid's dying to get in that business, but talk about some of the jobs you had and where that sort of entrepreneurial spirit came from. Mom, dad, you mentioned your grandmother. So I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. My grandfather worked for Maybelline and then left Maybelline and then came to the U.S. to talk to the Max Factor brothers and then brought Max Factor to Mexico. Then he left that to start his own cosmetics company. They built a very successful cosmetics business in Mexico, made in Mexico. So I grew up selling cosmetics. I put the perfume that they sold and I sold it all over school. I always wanted to make my own income. I was never comfortable asking for money. And I actually made good money with that. Every December, I started a new business. Because if I made enough money in December, I had some cash in the bank to do all the other things that I wanted to do throughout the year. Poinsettias is one. One year I wanted to compete with Hallmark because I was not finding something that was actually cool. So I hired a cartoonist and I had a friend that had a printing company. And I did this whole business of carts in Mexico City that I sold all over town. That was another very good business. I sold baskets of wine all over my neighborhood. Every year it started escalating and escalating. The adventure of that and the risk of putting my own little money and financing it and seeing it through was something that gave me true passion. And do you take that into business today? I do. I do. You told me one day when we're starting this business that you're never going to bat 100%. But you have to bat. You have to play. You have to go and do it. So you started Booz Allen as a consultant after college. Did that lead you to tequila? That was a great preparation for me for the business world. I was part of the marketing intensive group. And I got assigned to do a lot of different projects for one of the top snack producers in the world and did a lot of projects in Latin America and Mexico. We're doing strategies in Chile and strategies in Argentina in the north of Mexico. And I, we worked very hard during four or five months. We did the project. We gave the recommendations. We gave this big book to this group of marketers. And then we left. And I felt like I wanted to know what happened and I wanted to know how they implemented it. I wanted to know how the journey of our strategy and our recommendations actually played out in the marketplace. I realized that I was more of a operator than a strategist. And then I realized that I wanted to get into brand management. And your undergrad degree was in what? In business administration. So it was all tied together. Yeah. You were a business nut as well as a tequila nut. You went back to school to get your master's and you came to the U.S. to Northwestern. Why did you decide 
the U.S. for graduate school? I had the opportunity to come to the U.S. to visit my brother. He was doing a master's in Georgetown, and I was there for a weekend, and I saw the classrooms, and I saw the level of academia. It was so incredible that I decided that I wanted to do a master's degree in the U.S. I really knew that I wanted business and marketing. So I researched, and I realized that Northwestern was the number one school in the country. Did you like the snow? I liked the school better than the snow. (laughs) (laughs) When you came to Northwestern, you had obviously done most of your, all of your education in Spanish. Any difference doing it in English? I was so determined on getting to Northwestern and financing Northwestern. I had a scholarship from the Mexican government. I have a loan from the Institute of Fine Arts. And I was focused on financing this whole project after getting accepted. But then my first class was finance in English. <laughs> and I realized oh my God, my English is good, but it was not at that level. The rule there was if you had two grammatical mistakes in your papers, they wouldn't read the paper. So I spent a lot of time in the dissertation of what I was going to write, and then most of the time trying to make sure that I didn't make any mistakes. Did you? I got honor mention, so I did well. Congratulations. Contrast the experience of a graduate school in Chicago, other than the snow, of course, with your undergrad in Mexico. I worked full-time while I was going to do my undergraduate. One of my jobs was I worked for an entrepreneur that brought the franchise of DuraClean, which is cleaning services for homes and offices to Mexico, and I was hired to help him implement that. He was not that focused on the business and let me really take the reins. I was really young, and we were able to execute up 22 units all over Mexico And I had the chance in a young age to propose every decision-making, implementing a business, proving the pilot, multiplying it in the country. So I was completely focused on that. From Northwestern point of view, I became a student full-time. That was a complete novelty for me and a complete opportunity. For the first time in my career, I was so into academia. I didn't care about the weather because it was so interesting and so intellectually stimulating that I was very much enjoying the experience and it was very meaningful for my career. Looking back, what lessons did you take away from those experiences, academia, that you use in business or that shaped you as a CEO? Academia is a platform that can help you validate your thinking, but it's not going to say you're right or you're wrong. It's really more about having a broader point of view on business and also accepting that marketing and business are moving so fast that you have to have the discipline to try and stay really connected and be humble about it. We're going to move you ahead to your adult years. You've finished your education. How did you get to Jose Cuervo? So after I graduated from Northwestern, I was still thinking about the tequila industry. And it happens that one of my friends was friends with the CEO of Jose Cuervo, and he asked him who's specializing in marketing. We start talking. They had just hired an incredible CEO from Brazil and a managing director for their Mexico operation as well. And they're looking to build a new team of people to help re-engineer the organization. And since I had the management consulting background and then the marketing background, that's how I got into the business. And it was such an incredible company to work for and to continue this love affair with Tequila because it's a 11-generation run business, 250-year-old company that actually represents the history of Tequila in its own way. So you went on to become a maestro tequilero. What does that mean? What is that? A maestro tequilero is the person or group of people, could be two maestro tequileros, that actually are the architects of a tequila, are like the master distiller of the tequila. 
once we had our first tequila, Benjamin Garcia, who's the other maestro tequilero in Casa Dragones, he's like, why don't you get your title? And I'm like, we're so busy. Benjamin, do you think I have time now to go down to Mexico and get my title? He's like, just call them and see if you can get your title. So I called them and said, are you going to take me seriously? I really want to do it. So I got my title and it has a lot of meaning and a lot of responsibility, not only within our own tequila house, but also to be part of the Mestro Tequileros that are really truly helping leave the category in an advanced place for the new generations. Do you think you getting that opened people's eyes to, hey, maybe I can do it too, that this has been something that others want to do, especially women or younger people like you? Absolutely. I think that the tequila category is for anyone that feels passion and is interested and devoted to giving the professionalism it requires. I'm part of the professors that started the first executive course in University of Guadalajara called Technical Tequilero. And now the new generations can go to the Universidad de Guadalajara to take a master's degree to come into the category with much more academic backgrounds. For those who don't know their geography, Guadalajara is very near tequila. Yes, it's in the state of Jalisco, and the university is something you should visit. Just hold on a second, because we've got so much more to talk about. We'll be back after a quick break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. 
oracle.com slash strategic. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome back to Math & Magic. We're here with Dirty Gonzalez. So let's jump into the obvious. You and me as co-founders of Casa Dragones. My private investment firm, Pilot Group, was the original funding for Casa Dragones. And we've been linked together for 11 plus years. Why don't you tell us your story of the beginning of Casa Dragones? So here I am in New York City in a party in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And suddenly I find myself speaking to the founder of MTV. And we start talking tequila and suddenly he asks me, you're in the tequila industry and you have that background. I've always wanted to start a tequila company. And I just looked at him as like, oh my God, I think this is it. And I said, really? Well, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was a magical conversation. We exchanged cards and I'm like, I hope this is not just like a party talk. This is real. Next day, his secretary was like, Mr. Pittman can meet on this and this date. My excitement was over the moon about the opportunity of even just discussing the possibility of actually doing something with such a serial entrepreneur. My version, of course, is that I used to live in Mexico a couple of months a year. There was a bootleg tequila in town that the expats would drink, and they loved it because it was so smooth, because most tequila has that wince factor that you shoot it and go, and scrunch up your face a little bit, or you use a little salt or lime to help you get through it. And this had none of that. So it's like drinking a nice whiskey or something, scotch, cognac. And my son was working in Las Vegas, brought a buddy down who ran one of the nightclubs. And we drank this stuff one night. And the next morning he goes, Mr. Pittman, you know, I get $1,000 a bottle for Cristal in my club. I could get $10,000 a jug for this. So I think, wow, there's a business idea here. And I come back to New York and realize I know no one in the spirits business, really. And then I encounter you at this party. And I think somewhere in the conversation, I says, what do you do for a living? You go, well, I don't work with a wearable. And I go, oh, this is fate. Quit your job. Come be my partner. I have a great idea. Maybe I wasn't so blunt, but that's certainly what I was thinking in my mind. You decided that you would come aboard and take the chance. And of course, I'm a simpleton. And I think, well, we'll just make that bootleg stuff legal. And we'll bring it around the U.S. We'll make a fortune. You called me from Mexico and said, Bob, I have bad news for you. That stuff is actually not tequila. They've mixed all sorts of stuff with it to make it that smooth. And that makes it not tequila. But as always with you, you didn't say that's a problem. You said but I have an idea. And I showed up in Mexico, I think a couple of weeks later, and you've convinced one of the great tequila makers of Mexico to come out of retirement to do one more tequila. He said, you know, there's a process I've always wanted to use on tequila. If I'm correct, it'll be the smooth and it'll be out of 100% agave. That sort of began the story. And you and he went away and came back, well, I guess about a year later, nine months later with these liquid did you think you were making a big mistake leaving a great job at Jose Cuervo? You love the people. They obviously loved you. You guys were doing great work to come do a startup. I was so excited about becoming an entrepreneur that once I made my decision, I really never looked back, never thought what would have been or never thought I should have stayed because starting a, a company, it's such an incredible journey that there's no time for the past. There's only time for the present and the future. 
So let's break the Casa Dragones startup story down into the pieces, just as an illustration, I think, to people do going through startups. There's really the concept, the product, the marketing, the distribution. How would you define the concept of what we were doing with Casa Dragones? We met on the idea of producing a true sip in tequila. And we also were very clear that we wanted to produce the best possible tequila we could bring to market. Our strategy was to compete with product. We wanted to compete with credentials and we wanted to compete with quality and product uniqueness. We wanted a tequila that could stand on its own on the table and you could recognize that it was Casa Dragones and it was made for sipping. Those continue to be the foundation of the company, our values in the company. We're trying to be tequila producers that are truly pushing the conversation of tequila production into the future while delivering and proving that tequila has incredible credentials and can compete with other very established categories. We had the deal, the handshake, that if we couldn't deliver a truly differentiated liquid, we were not going to bring the product to market. You knew from the investor side, there's a lot of bad ideas in the marketplace that people fall in love with. And from my side, I knew from a competitive set that it was going to be very difficult to cut through the clutter with something unique. I want to emphasize that because that was a deal you and I cut is let's don't get deal fever. Let's don't kid ourselves. Let's don't lie to ourselves. Before we started the journey, we said, if we taste this and it's not differentiated, I put five tequilas on the table and I can't pick ours out of it. We're going to shut down and say, great try, but we're not going any farther. Not many people do that, I don't think. You can only imagine how committed I was to making that work. (laughs) (laughs) Once we have something truly special and unique, that inspired our packaging. We wanted to do a packaging that was truly showcasing Mexican craftsmanship. We wanted to showcase it, elevate and celebrate it. And that's where the idea of doing a modern decanter made in a semi-automatic process that is individually hand engraved with a traditional Mexican technique called pepita. We went out of our way to showcase that craftsmanship in everything we do from our production process to our packaging. And through that journey, we then found that Casa Dragones, which is this house in San Miguel de Allende that you owned, had all this history and all this heritage. It used to be the stables of the dragoons that masterminded the movement of Mexican independence. And I think this MTB rebelliousness as something that you carry with you that's contagious, that really builds fire under people's belly, was something we all wanted to have in our own company. Casa Dragones has that meaning for us of being rebellious and independent producers that are trying to do things differently, that are truly trying to expand their repertoire or complement their repertoire for the consumer with truly unique offerings. If we couldn't become the connoisseur's favorite tequila, we were going to close up and go home too. That was our second step. So that was a little related to product, some to pricing, Mm -hmm. some to marketing. So talk a little bit about how that influenced your idea of pricing and talk about the marketing idea and plan for Casa de Gronis. With great commitment to quality comes price. Once we had the product developed, we understood that we had to really penetrate the category through a higher price point to ensure that we were consistent with the category's profitability. That strategy was a difficult strategy because coming in into a category at a higher price point is not a traditional entrance. Maybe the highest price point. It's a courageous move in a way and one that requires patience and dedication. We started with a tequila $275 that truly represents the value that's in the product. And we came to market in 2009, which is the worst recession that we've seen in the latest years. Yeah, timing wasn't perfect. I remember going out to the streets in New York and in other cities in the U.S., 
selling our product and people looked at me saying like, you are very eloquent in English, but we're not really sure you're reading the paper because there is one of the hardest recessions we've ever experienced. In the beginning years, we counted in bottles because counting cases was depressing. And then as time went by, we really started to gain recognition and be able to start making the foundation of the company stronger. We actually had a lot of celebrities that loved Casa Jugones, a lot of big names. But you resisted the urge to market with celebrity, and you chose to market through the art world, through food and wine people, through chefs, restaurants. Talk a little bit about that decision and how this came together for Casa Jugones. We had the opportunity to seduce many palates in the celebrity world that became our clients, and we're really proud and grateful for their choice. We understood the power of Casa Dragones being their favorite tequila or one of their favorite tequilas in a genuine way. And we still believe that there's a lot of power in that. And then we realized that in the art world and in the culinary world, there were also an audience that was very seduced by craftsmanship and dedication. Do you think celebrities are overused today? Or was this just a case of not right for this situation? I think that there are stories where it makes sense and others where it doesn't. We have to understand that it's a powerful, powerful way to build awareness. And we're not against it. it. just hasn't been our strategy. I understand that it's a slower build this way. We appreciate all the attention that the celebrities have brought to the category because they're promoting the category itself. So it helps us all. But for our journey in particular, we've had great partners that are celebrities, but they've chosen to become investors rather than being the face of the product. So let's jump to distribution. Startup, you don't have enough money to go everywhere. You're not going to compete with Petron or Jose Cuervo or any of the big established players at this point. You made a decision to go market by market in the U.S., but I thought the Mexico example was very interesting about how things get away from you. You and I decided we're going to sell a couple of cases in Mexico, but the U.S. is the big market. But you had one chef who fell in love with it. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened and how Mexico actually became, for many years, half your volume as a result of it? Mexico per capita is the largest tequila market in the world. We knew that we had to establish ourselves in the Mexican market, and we had the opportunity to do our first batch party in San Miguel de Allende, where we had a lot of chefs, and one of them was Enrique Olvera. Tell the audience a little bit about who he is. So Enrique Olvera is one of the top chefs from Mexico. Restaurant Pujol is world-renowned and is part of the 50 best restaurants in the world. And he's really led the charge of these new generations of chefs in Mexico. He's really part of the community and has not only Pujol, but now he has Cosme in New York and Atla in New York as well, and Criollo in Oaxaca and so on. Enrique fell in love with the product, believed in what we were doing, and helped us really spread the voice about our tequila. And with that, we were able to be part and continue to be part in a very proud way of the culinary movement that Mexico is having. Casa Dragones Joven was made for sipping and pairing with food. So being able to seduce the palates of the chefs and have them do very creative pairings with our tequila was truly important for our marketing and for the product itself. The way that the chefs give life to our tequila, it really showcases the complexity that we've been able to deliver. We don't see now a division between Mexico and the U.S. or a border. From a consumer point of view, you're doing today business in New York, and tomorrow you're in San Miguel celebrating 
Thanksgiving and the day after you're closing a deal in Mexico City. And the same thing for the Mexico business people. We want to make sure that we are consistent in both markets and that the Mexico market is supporting our efforts in the U.S. The U.S. market is actually the largest spirit market in the world. You often talk about consumer discovery and how important that was to the brand. Talk a little bit about how you think the consumer discovers stuff and what you have to do to make that authentic. I think for consumers to discover, they have to be exposed to the product from a referral point of view. Word of mouth is very powerful. We were also very lucky to be born in a year where we had tools like Facebook and Twitter and then Instagram. For the consumer, when they discover a product, they feel it's theirs. There's some ownership about the product that becomes something they discovered and then they want to talk about the actual product to other people. So let's take some lessons out of this. You were at... Casa Dragones and the launch of Hoven, high-end luxury. You were at Jose Cuervo, totally mass market. How do you contrast the differences between marketing high-end and mass? The tools and the channels that you use for building the awareness are truly different. You look at media in a very different way because for a mass product, you need to be measuring your awareness and your all these different indicators to make sure that you are driving and pushing the needle forward in luxury, we need the same awareness, but it's how you build it. Let's talk packaging. In the Casa Dragones case, you had a liquid. You knew what you wanted it to be. Now you had to come up with a package. How do you harmonize packaging to the product? We took inspiration from the core and the heart of the product, which is the tequila. The sipping tequila, the experience that we wanted to portray of people sipping and enjoying and savoring. We wanted something that represented that elegance and that sophistication of flavor and that complexity and also showcase the meticulous attention to detail that we have in the production process. That was the brief for the packaging. So we looked all over Mexico, flea markets, museums, went to the largest collections of tequila all over the Mexican market, did the most discovery that we could to find inspiration. One day after doing all this research, I was in the Museo de Arte Popular in Mexico City. It's a, a museum of popular art, and they had the history of the production of glass in Mexico. And in that exhibit, I found all these apothecary bottles and a lot of work in the engraving of Pepita. And that was immediately what became the first idea for our packaging. And then it really grounded everything else. Let's talk about location and backstory. The tequila is made in tequila, state of Jalisco, but your spiritual home is San Miguel de Allende. As a matter of fact, it's written on the bottom of the bottle of the Hoven. Why is that important to you? Why is it important to have that spiritual home, that backstory? How does that play into a product? That's the heart of where we thought about our business, where we closed our partnership, where the idea of our name came from, where the liquid idea came from. So there's a true root to us that we've been able to build upon. San Miguel de Allende also represents this extraordinary Mexico that we want people to see. It's a world heritage site by UNESCO. It's one of the most elegant colonial towns in the heart of Mexico, but it's also a town that has a lot of character. It's also a town that represents the fun side of tequila. Not only it's not about the elegance, but also the local people, the entrepreneurs that live there, the history of the city. It was already our spiritual home, and then we actually recognized it. Let's jump to startups. You and I met each other and we go, wow, great idea. We had nothing except an idea. What's the scariest part of that when someone makes that jump? There is this mix of passion and determination with naivete. You get accustomed to having this 
urges of feelings and emotions that you live with on a regular basis, you have a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows. And on the average of all of that, if you manage to stay sane, <laughs> to have the clarity to build your business, I don't think there's a formula for it, but you feel close to that horror or that living close to the abyss on a regular basis. <laughs> and every decision that you take could be a dead end, right? It could bring you to not being able to raise a capital or not being able to bring a product to market or not having the right packaging when you export it that it leaks or all these different things that come into the decision-making of starting a business. So there was not one moment that I can remember because the last moment is forgotten so quickly because you already have the next moment in front of you. So that's the horror. Let's talk about the easy part. What was easier than you expected about being a CEO in a startup? We never talk about it being easy. <laughs> so was there anything easy? I think uh, creating the product and creating the brand, it was not easy, but it was magic. It was really something that I love and I feel proud of and I find inspiration from still today when we're growing our portfolio and we're going to different places. That passion and that core of excitement of creating a product with everything you've dreamt of doing and more that is, for me, one of the most incredible parts of this whole business. So what skills does a CEO need that might not be so obvious until you are one? Staying close to reality is one that is really important. Knowing where you stand, you need to be in the center and you have mirrors all over you to make sure you understand what you have and what you don't. And work for what you have and hire for what you don't. Make sure that you have true passion for it. Because you're going to need that passion to find the hours of dedication and the solutions to move your business forward. You've been selling since you were selling those poinsettias, greeting cards, etc. So you have some knack for sales. What's your secret on sales? Know your audience and know your product. The product has its qualities and characteristics, but you sell the product differently to a high-end liquor store than you sell it to a fine dining establishment. So knowing your audience and knowing your product and in being able to actually use those cards, you will be more powerful as a salesperson. It's really about understanding who you're speaking to and really knowing your product to decide what are the characteristics and the sale claims that you're going to use for that audience. What advice would you have for the 18-year-old Berta? Don't doubt yourself that much. Focus on the opportunity. What would be the best advice you have for a would-be entrepreneur with an idea? Just an idea. Having the right preparation. It could be work experience. It could be industry knowledge. It could be capital raising experience. It depends on the venture. But you need to walk into the venture with some true ammunition to pour into the projects that you feel secure about. That will be an important foundation for any venture. For young people who want a career in spirits, what advice would you offer them? Work a couple of years in the industry and understand the complexities of distribution, of production, of legalities, of trademarking. Get yourself a view of the category. It's a complex category that requires studying and understanding. So we end each episode with a shout out to the range of marketers or those who support markets from the mathematicians, the quants, all the way to the magicians, the creative types. Who is the most impressive person you've seen on the analytical side? I'm going to ask you, who's the most creative person you've seen also? From the mathematician side, I had the opportunity to take classes with Philip Kotler and Kellogg. 
And that turned my world around. The power of marketing and the power of analytics was something that he really ingrained in me. Who's the creative person? I've had the opportunity to have so many different creative people influence my life, starting with you, Mr. Pittman. I had a, we'll an, forgive you for that. So a, let's get to the good ones. I will go back to Northwestern. I had a professor in advertising. His name was Stanley Tannenbaum. He was a multi-awarded creative. Showed me the power of a brief and how that can transform a business. And that had, can create a magic that's based on math, that's based on analytics. But then how do you actually create an emotional connection with a consumer? And I think I followed that professor around for a year. Like I was like completely gaga over like whole concept of how this happens and how it looks. And now there's a scholarship in his name in Northwestern because he was such an important influence in so many different people's life. And I'm one of them. Berta, thank you. Thank you. Here are a few things I picked up in my conversation with Berta. Find the spiritual home of your product. An authentic connection to a place and a history can help build a great brand. Know your audience and know your product. Berta says that will allow you to tailor your marketing and distribution to reach different markets. Finally, build a great product first. If you can create something truly unique like Berta and I did, that foundation will support the rest of your journey. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Pittman. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles 
and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 